podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the AI Premier League preview show. Um, as you can hear, I'm not Harry Setti, but Harry is... Um, away this week. Um, I think Guy hosted last week. Um, I've, I've been asked to tag in this week. Uh, my name is Tadio Chanakera. I'll be hosting for this week. And um, speaking of Guy, I've, I've brought a familiar voice in terms of Guy uh, as as a lieutenant, as a Liverpool fan. Guy, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Late sub for K. That's the story there. I wasn't first choice, people. <laughs> <laughs> you were the auto sub yeah. for those fantasy players out there. Oh, yes. Um, and then uh, I've also brought a Watford fan who I think is more of a seasoned veteran on this show than I am, to be fair. Um, Adam, Adam Drury, Adam, you're a sports writer and Watford, Watford fan, just as way of reintroduction or introduction to the new fans. Adam, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks, guys. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, Adam, we'll stick with you, obviously. We'll go through the Watford team and, and then we'll, we'll bring Guy back in with the Liverpool side of things a bit later on. But... I just want to sort of just to start off with your th- thoughts on how the season, you know, ended last season, the decision to stick with Javier Garcia. Um, Watford haven't really been sticking with their managers towards the end of seasons recently, or was that an unfair statement? Yeah, well, that's certainly uh, that's certainly a fair thing to say. I think, obviously, we weren't quite sure what the situation with Javier Garcia was at the end of last season because he'd really been brought in initially to swerve the team clear of relegation there was by the time he came in last January we were pretty much in freefall when Marco Silva left and we needed a steadying hand just to make sure we didn't end up um, being down there which he achieved and actually by the end of the season I felt there were a few uh, shoots of you know some decent performances particularly at home Um, but as you say that didn't mean that we were sure he'd be staying on but I think it was a strange sort of time because we were sort of half expecting an announcement any day. And then as time went on, uh, there was sort of nothing. And then they came back in pre-season and he was there and, and that was that. And I think it's proved to be the right decision that the shoots of recovery at the end of last season have really carried on this year. And I think they've really basically built on the fact that um, the squad was fairly unchanged. Um, ben Foster was the only summer signing which uh, who's come straight into the first 11 and um, he's he said we well, subsequently said that in the summer they spoke a lot about the fact that they were together they knew each other well after working together end of last season whereas lots of other teams were spending lots of money um, there was lots of change if you look at teams like um, you know Fulham and other teams that are down there and Watford didn't have that, have that, and that meant that they came into this season uh, fresh and um, ready to really build on the way they finished last season. Um, and so there was obviously a bit more optimism among the team and the and the management staff, and there was among the fans. Um, and that was clear from the start when they were saying how you know confident they felt, but unsurprised they were by results. And obviously everyone else, but a bit more surprised than us than them. Sorry. Yeah, and and you do mention the the results sort of at least early on as maybe to the rest of the league as being a surprise. Um, you've thrown in the factors of having that consistency, having a coach that the players were used to, having a squad that the the, 
the coach was used to as well. What what were your thoughts on that um, unexpected start? It, Watford seemed to start well, um, but surely this was a stronger start than than people were expecting. Yeah, well, I think it's as you say, Watford do always start well, and so I'm sort of slightly skeptical of saying it's all about the continuity and all about keeping the manager and keeping the same players because Watford have started strongly in all four of their Premier League seasons, particularly uh, last season and and this season. Um, so I think probably Gracia has to take lots of the credit himself for simply good coaching. The team, look, uh, particularly in those first few weeks of the season, so well organised and so well drilled as though they'd almost been coached into how to win a game. You know, they'd win certain battles. They quite often would be level at half-time, having scrapped their way to half-time and then uh, superior fitness levels and superior energy would show to come through in the second half and they'd win games after half-time. If you look at the Tottenham game, which I think was the fourth game of the season, they were pretty much not outplayed, but were, were chasing the ball for about an hour, conceded a goal and then suddenly found a 15-minute burst. And I think Gracia's really managed to coach the squad into, you know, basically taught them how to win matches, um, which is now so that Watford haven't really had in the first three years um, of their Premier League, sort of this stint in the Premier League. And I think that's what's been so impressive. They've been able to manage games. They've been able to take the sting out of games when needed. And then they've been able to put their foot on the accelerator when needed. And I think that comes down to really the coaching staff because that's certainly a pattern that hasn't always been evident over the last three years. And I think lots of hard work went in over the summer on fitness and those other aspects, which uh, resulted in that strong start because they managed to catch so many people by surprise, I guess. Yes, and, and, and you've spoken about this uh, strong summer that um, Watford had. If you, if you could just elaborate on that. I know, you know, obviously the big news for most people that aren't Watford fans was the Richarlison saga. Yeah. Um, and once Silva had gone, you know, sort of the spark left with him and whether he was going to be staying or not. And you guys seem to have, you know, shrugged that that, that sale off and, and continue your season. But what were your thoughts on the rest of the summers? The um the, the new signings that came in, the likes of Delafo, you know, Foster coming from West Brom and and, and those likes. There's definitely lots of excitement about Foster because he actually pretty much started his senior career out at Watford. He when he signed for Man United in 2005, he spent his first two years as a Man United player on loan at Watford. So he's always been someone that's, I guess, been thought of fondly at Watford. And that's why, obviously, apart from the fact he's been a very good Premier League keeper for years, um, there was lots of excitement about him. But other than that, it was pretty much the unknown. Obviously, the sale of Richarlison sort of came from nowhere. Um, but I guess what went under the radar slightly last season was that he hadn't really been performing from about November onwards. It wasn't even the departure of Silver, which prompted a decline in performances from him. He'd actually, before that, had started to really struggle. Um, and Silver sort of persevered with him, and maybe he shouldn't have done. Um, and so there wasn't... I think people accepted that that was a very good uh, sale in terms of, you know, 40, 50 million pounds, whatever it was. That was lots of money. But there was some frustration that that wasn't really um, spent on new players in between that sale and the, and the end of the transfer window. Um, but I think also... What's become apparent is the emphasis that was put on um, togetherness and spirit and fitness levels over the summer. And, you know, what we as frustrated fans, as, out, as you know, outside of things, were thinking, we're short on players, why aren't we spending this money? Actually, the emphasis was um, elsewhere, and that's what's really worked out so well, rather than 
the you know the money that was or wasn't spent. Yeah, and that's an interesting take. I think most clubs, especially if you're looking high up in the table, seems to be the whole and um, the answer to all the problems is spending you know as much as you can. But yeah. if, if you've got a coach like Javi who who seems to be willing to coach the players in you know into form, um, do you worry about sort of that type of form going in? To the rest of the season, you know, we saw the strong start. Um, it has been a little bit shaky the couple of, of, of weeks following that. Um, how have you seen this, um, in inverted commas, regression? But I, I, I wouldn't really see it that way. But how, how do you see how the weeks after sort of maybe that first four weeks of the season has come? Yeah, it's not, to be honest, it's not been the start of the the slides that maybe we've seen over the last um the three years beforehand i don't think any of the performances have been you know desperately poor obviously look at the bournemouth home game which finished 4-0 but even even there bournemouth basically had two or three attacks and they resulted in a couple of goals and a red card and that sort of kills the game and okay maybe didn't cope great after that but it wasn't kind of the 4-0 hammering it maybe it looks like um and other than that the defeat in newcastle was I think statistically a bit of a freak. I mean, I was there and what basically dominated that whole game failed to convert lots of chances and then were sort of done at the other end from a set piece. Um, and then there's been other excellent wins since that, since that first four weeks. Obviously the win at Wolves was, Wolves was impressive. Everybody in the build up to that game was talking about Wolves, you know, being the, the best promoted team we've ever seen and all of that. And they haven't won since then. Um, and so I, no, not really concerned by performances. Obviously, when you take one point from games at Newcastle and Southampton and you think you've played really well, that's a bit frustrating because they're games that, you know, we know we're capable of winning and now there are tough ones to come. But in terms of performance levels, there's not really too much to worry about so far. It's a really deep squad. Um, all the summer signings that we didn't know too much about, most of them have now been given, given a crack at it uh, at some point in the league team this season and they're I don't think there really looks like being a dud. There are certainly two or three who are really beginning to impress. I guess Gerard Delefoe is one of them. Um, and so the squad looks deep. And yeah, so some frustration that maybe results haven't continued how how they were at the very start, but they're still not bad. And um, no real qualms about performances at the moment. Yeah, that's interesting. And you, you, you keep highlighting, which I suppose is a very important thing, the sort of team emphasis that has been instilled in the team this season yeah. but from an individual perspective you 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 mentioned there Delafell you obviously he he wasn't there for the beginning of the season but he's come into his own you know sort of this last uh, four or five games are there other individual players I know fantasy players will speak of the likes of Pereira as, yeah. as being key players but are, are there any players that you as a Watford fan watching week in, week out, would highlight as the key player so far this season? Um, I guess, as you say, Pereira is an obvious name. I think Etienne Capu would be widely considered to be the player of the season so far. He's been pretty much incredible, to be fair. he's We've seen glimpses of this over the past previous three seasons, but it's always fizzled out or come in you know, fits and bursts. Um, but he's been absolutely superb so far next to Decore. In fact, those two were partnered together by Gracia as soon as he took over last January, basically basically because he had no other options due to injuries. And they've played near enough every game together since then. Um, Kapu breaks the play up. He's a good passer. He plays lovely 
um, you know, long diagonals out to the fullbacks. Um, but his his best attribute really is reading the play from midfield, cutting out the supply line to forwards. He's very um, agile, strong in the tackle, but also got a good good football brain. Um, and so he's formed a really good partnership with Decore, who takes lots of headlines. But I think really Kapoor has started for those two this season. Um, at the back, I guess Craig Cathcart is a ever-present that nobody ever talks about or notices. And that's probably down to his you know, personality and style. He seems to be someone who um, you know, is no fuss, but very calm. Um, and not just what we consider to be a typical British defender. You know, he's a decent passer, thinks about, um, thinks about it with the ball at his feet, but also a very solid defender. So I'd say maybe those two of people, of players that haven't had much credit, I'd say, um, yeah, Cathcart and Kapoor. Will Hughes has been really good in midfield as well. Obviously, sort of overshadowed by Pereira, but plays a similar role um, on the field. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think I, I do like that midfield pairing, um, as you mentioned. It seems to be one that was bought in a, a, a couple of seasons ago, but with the intention of it being quite a solid base for, for the rest of the team to sort of propel from. Um, having come from an international break and sort of bringing the focus more towards the game this weekend how do you see you know has your team been affected by the international break and how as an extension from that how do you see um Gratia setting up his team against us this, the, this weekend um well the one concern in terms of international players would be Pereira who is with the Argentina squad who I think play um tonight Tuesday night uh kicking off at midnight so I don't quite know how involved he's going to be in that game, but whether involved or not, he will be back late and obviously presumably jet lag and all that sort of thing will, will play a part. So I don't know how, what his, how his availability will be affected. Obviously, Gracia so far likes to play, um, you know, stick with names. He knows that stick with players who he knows are reliable. So how I'm sure he'll be extremely keen to get Pereira back in the team, but probably not, not if he's really badly fatigued. Other than that, we're actually not too, not too hit by international call-ups just because lots of our players are actually come from countries of, you know, you know top footballing countries. Obviously, Decore and Kapoor are both French, Delafoe, Spanish, a um, few English players as well. So, no, not affected too badly. What will be mainly interesting is um, what will happen in midfield because Kapoor was suspended against Southampton in the last game after picking up five yellows and Nathaniel Shalabar came in. Shalabar hasn't been able to get a kick really because of Kapu and Decore's form. And he did okay at Southampton, looked like looked a bit rusty, but um, you know, showed a few nice moments. And so what will be interesting, assuming that Kapu comes back into the team, uh, will be whether Shalabar can stay in the team as well. Perhaps if Pereira's unavailable, that might help him out and will play a slightly more, you know, three defensive midfield players, obviously, to help combat Liverpool as well. Um, but I'd say that's where I'm a bit unsure. Pereira's availability and then whether Gracia will make an attempt to play all of Capu, Decore and Chalabar or otherwise I expect Chalabar will be back on back on the bench. Yeah, I think I think that midfield will will obviously be a key point of contest and I'm sure when we bring Guy in there will be plenty to discuss on Liverpool's midfield. But from a stylistic point of view, you know, the, the likes of maybe the Arsenal's, the Liverpool's, Man City's, you know, teams do tend to like to go a bit physical with them. And I, I know um, 
you know, Liverpool have had a few spankings at Watford in recent memory just because of the physicality that yeah. um, we couldn't keep up with. Do you see something similar or is it going to be more of a technical game from, from Watford? I think Watford will try and are, are able to absolutely mix it physically. They're a very big team. There's not many small players. Delefoe is fairly, fairly diminutive, but other than that. Um, and so, yes, if, if, you know, going back to that Tottenham game I talked about, basically Watford had 20 minutes in the second half of just bullying Spurs physically and that won them the match. I do think, thinking back to previous Liverpool games, it's been, I remember, well, we beat you 3-0 at Vicarage Road, I think three years ago, when it was Dini and Agallo up front, and they were far too physical really for Liverpool's back two um, or centre-half partnership. I do think that's less likely to happen now, obviously, with um, Van Dijk back there, who I think Troy Deeney said before is he considers his toughest opponent in the Premier League. So that'll be an interesting um, match-up. So yeah, Watford, well, I'm sure we'll try and uh, mix it physically, but not necessarily um, as successfully as in previous years. But they've also got much more technical ability in the team than in previous years as well. So um, what Gracia is quite good at doing is you know, coming up with a plan and adopting a plan for a match. And that's what they'll be working hard on in training at the moment. So we'll see what they come up with. But um, yes, I think probably Watford are able to play with a little bit more finesse than they have done in previous encounters, but have got those bruises in there as well if it if required. Uh, thank you, Adam, for, for running through that Watford team for us. Um, it seems like a season that, that is going well for you guys, and obviously, barring this weekend, hopefully it, it's projecting to be one that's going to be getting stronger and stronger. We're going to bring Guy in. Um, Guy, from a Liverpool perspective, you've had what um, Adam has had to say. Um, from Liverpool's side, though, well, what are your thoughts on you know Liverpool's recent form and the attitude toward the team across the whole fan base? Um, there's obviously been quite a lot of chat, whether on WhatsApp groups and the, the Twitter and social media. I almost said the, the Twitter. Um, what, what are your thoughts on how the team is being seen and how the team is performing at the moment? Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's not a weird patch for Liverpool, is it? But it's, <laughs> we had a, we had a bit of a weird week before the international break, which probably didn't help having an international break, which has felt like at least six years since we last played a game of football. Um, but yeah, obviously last game with Fulham, it was just, it was just a nice comfortable day at the office, so I think everyone's pessimism in in the fan base or, or questioning nature in the fan base it's probably based around our Champions League form more than anything. I know we had a couple dodgy performances in the league, but I think that Red Star <clears throat> game where we lost two nil um it was I think that was probably the boiling point obviously there's been quite a lot of questioning on on rotation and and some players who were underperforming i mean I think. It's fair to say we've overplayed the players like Milner. Um, some have underperformed, um, and obviously we we keep changing centre backs about for, and right backs about, don't we? Which kind of leads to a bit of mm, not calamity, but it leads to a bit of um, randomness in terms of performances in the back line where we've seen that's been our most improved part of the pitch. But yeah, I think I think the the last week before the international break, and I'll put the Arsenal game in there as well, has probably summarised our season. I mean, we've been comfortable most of it. Arsenal was a very mixed game. In Red Star, we were just utterly horrendous, which is probably what we've seen in the Champions League, away from home, I should add. 
Yeah, definitely. And you know, you speak of of the ups and downs of the season, but when you look at the league table, you know, it's obviously telling a different story. Perhaps are, you know, the likes of Man City going on their incredible runs, you know, and it looks like it's going to be a tall task to stop them this season as well. Are they unfairly shifting our expectations of, of the Liverpool team or are we right to expect more from Klopp's team? Um, no, I, I don't think we can expect more from our team, to be honest. I mean, it'd be lovely if we started playing like we did towards the middle point of last season where we were smashing everyone four and fives. But, I mean, results-wise, as, as you said, we, we're right up there. Um, Two-point gap. So, yeah, pretty much we're behind them just that much. And I think it's fair to say we've had a tougher start to the season. Obviously, it's probably evening out a bit now that they've had the Manchester derby and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's... It, it is weird because Man City. I mean, there was last season the, the question started whether they're one of the best teams in the Premier League history, and obviously we're only what a third in, in the season, and and they've just continued on, and if not, got even better because well, they're missing their best player, and they're still the most dominant team in the league. Um, so yeah, I think Man City are kind of just they're just an anomaly you can't compare to them it's, it's literally impossible i know all the off-field stuff that came out with the football league stuff but i mean that's not what we can worry about week to week we have to we have to find a way as a club um to kind of topple that giant but it might be an impossible task so it, it might just be typical liverpool bad luck that when we're good there's always someone who's just a bit better <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, you know, whether being better than someone at something, there is one area of the field where we we seem to be matching Manchester City, well, especially in the Premier League, and that's, you know, goals conceded or goals against. We both have only conceded five goals this, this season. Do you put much weight in the centre-back pairing that maybe started the season and has featured a lot this season in Virgil van Dijk and Gomez? They've both had a positive international break, speaking of the internationals earlier. Um, should they be getting more credit than they've received so far this season? Um, possibly from from the wider footballing fan fandom. Uh, maybe they get seen as a, one of the best in the Premier League, but it, it's a weird position, centre-back, because there's not really any... There's not really your Ferdinand and your Vidic or a Carragher and an Aga or Carragher hippie like we used to, or your Chelsea when it was Ricardo Cavallio and Terry and, and so on. There's not really... This kind of a new breed of football centre-back partnerships, isn't obviously Joe Gomez, Joe Gomez and Van Dijk's brand new. Man City, again, that's um, Stones and Laporte, brand new. Um, Chelsea's is, well, Chelsea's is still pretty bad on paper. <laughs> um, and so is Man United's. Um, Arsenal defence, yeah, they can't do it. So yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. I think, in the, I think from Liverpool fans, I mean, we all, we all want to see Joe Gomez and Van Dijk play every minute of every game. That matters like, like, within reason, obviously. But... Um, yeah, I think in terms of the wider scale this season, it's going to be the time that um, you see like a new breed of centre-back partnerships. And I think you can probably apply that to Man City's too that I mentioned as well. They they should um, they should they should make themselves a world-renowned centre-back partnership the same way that Joe Gomez and Van Dijk should do. If if they both continue on this form, and I imagine Joe Gomez is the bigger question mark because obviously this is his first season playing at centre-back um, for us. Um, if they if the two continue the form, I mean, 
and continue it over seasons, they'll they'll be remembered um, as a top level centre back partnership, and just hopefully ends up winning us something. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it seems like Joe Gomez has been faring well in that position. Uh, we'll see how it carries on. But moving up the field, and we did tease this a little bit earlier, we'll, we'll trudge our way up the field to a more contentious part of the field, which is, you know, the midfield for Liverpool. Um, it's been cause for a lot of debate. Uh, Naby Keita's come back to fitness now. You know, he's one of the new signings, with Fabinho being another signing that's only really started to feature in the last recent weeks. Is it high time we start seeing them as a pair in midfield to actually see what we've, we've paid all that money for? I think I think for me, I think Fabinho should be one of the first names on the team sheet for now. Because I think what we've seen from him is something that's completely unique to our midfield. I mean, the amount of stuff that he does in midfield. I know some people have said he's slow on the ball and stuff like that, but he just... He just goes through other other midfield, and we've only, we've only seen him in what five odd games, and and the amount of work he's got through in terms of your duels, your tackles, and all that stuff, it's just like otherworldly compared to other ones. So I think Fabinho should be the one of the first names on the team sheet, and and the thing with Cater is he obviously had those first three games where everyone thought, okay, looks impressive here, and then I think it was before the PSG game, he he just kind of fell off a cliff and just seemed to turn into one of these midfielders that we've been complaining about for the best part of, well, three or four years. He just seemed to lose all all creativity and all, all of that spark that we saw at Leipzig, or some people saw at Leipzig. Um, and, yeah, I think Fabinho should should definitely be built around. And, obviously, I, I imagine Cater will get up to back to his levels at, at Leipzig and hopefully the system can be suited for him and he can get used to our system and stuff like that. But... I'm not Ginny's biggest fan because I think he's a lot very inconsistent, um, especially when he's playing with certain players and he goes missing and all that stuff. But I, I think Ginny's been one of our probably top three players this season, so I think it's unfair to drop drop Ginny. But I I, I would like to see Fabinho care, but I think it'd be harsh on Ginny. But yeah, I'd like to see the two new guys get a proper run because I think. That's what we miss is Man City have a world-class midfield. Well, I keep bringing up Man City, but that that's who we got to compare ourselves to. I think our midfield is the biggest factor um, between ourselves and, and the title. So I, I think we need the new lads to to get ready um, and get set in the Premier League, get set at Liverpool, and that's what can help us bridge that gap and, if not, take them over. Yeah, definitely. And just as an add-on to that question... Do you think, you know, we saw, for example, with Man United, the likes of bringing in a midfielder and he came, you know, Fred came straight into the starting lineup and maybe came under a bit of fire. Do you think there's any any merits in Klopp having held back the likes of Fabinho so far and maybe taken Keita out of the limelight? Or do you want to see these type of players start from the get-go? Um, I, I think it. I think it's... I, I think it's fair to say that you want to you want to see a meritocracy at all your clubs, and I think with us especially at the start of the season, as I said, Ginny's been one of our better players this season. Milner in the first patch of the season was one of the best, one of our best players as well, and and obviously Cater when Cater at the start of the season was in the team on merit, so I can kind of see both um, argument. I can see both sides of the argument for it, but I think. You've obviously used Fred as an example there. Man United is in a bit of a shit show at the minute. Um, 
and obviously it'll be a lot more hostile for every player, never mind new players. So I think I think the fact that Liverpool, obviously we finished, well, apart from the Champions League final was obviously horrendous, but we were obviously a lot more in a positive place than Man United, for, to continue that example. So I think it, it was an easier place to bed in a new signing at Liverpool compared to Man United. But I think maybe the fact that we obviously had two new midfielders, we were obviously looking at a third in Nabil Fakir as well. Maybe we just didn't want to whack in two and possibly three if that transfer went through at the same time. So I think it was right to to use your um, James Milners and your Ginny Vijnaldum. But to be fair, they they stepped up at the start of the season and, and Ginny's continued as well, whereas Milner seems to have tired and kind of fallen off a cliff a bit. But yeah, I think I think it I think it is I think it is right what Klopp's done. I mean we all want to see Fabinho, but I think even in his early in his first appearance against Chelsea, I think we saw the issues there. Obviously it was a new system for him. Um and he did kind of get lost in the first half and after uh, since I think since that second half in the Chelsea League Cup game, he seems to have been more in sync. I know the Arsenal game; he wasn't brilliant. Uh, but nobody, nobody was in midfield that day. But um, yeah, I think you saw, especially with Fabinho, he needed that extra time to get used to the system. Whereas Cater, he seemed to he seemed to look a natural for it, but he seems to have just he seemed to have just lost his spark or went off, or went out of sync with the rest of the team or something like that unless it was a tactical change from Klopp it it just one game it just seemed to disappear for Kater so I think case I think you got to judge it case by case but I think it certainly worked for Fabinho yeah definitely and I, I think he's someone that will grow into the season not necessarily you know hit the ground running but we do have a player that has you know hit the ground running especially from an attacking point of view um of the cameos that he has had and the starts that he has had, you know, we've seen the the wonder game against Southampton where I think he's getting subbed off at halftime, club sort of saying job done. But Shakiri has come in, obviously the price tag, you know, um it it's it's questioned whether he he was even worth it for, for that amount of money. But he seems to have carried his form through the international break. Um I'm sure he's he's chomping at the bit to to get into that starting lineup. What have you made of his season so far, his signing, and whether you think he's forced his way into the starting lineup? I I was all for signing um, Shakiri, especially for the price we got him at, which was thirteen odd million. But I was not I was not expecting the impact he's had in such a short time. I knew he was talented, obviously. He, he, I think everyone saw him at Baal in the Champions League games. Uh, even for, I think I sort of first saw him at like under twenty one level for Switzerland in one of the tournaments that was on Sky, but all the way back then. So I've kind of knew of him for a while, but yeah, he's just he's just surprised me how how easily he's clicked with with you with with more Salah probably. Mostly, I mean, I think there's the old cliche that good footballers instantly click with good footballers. And I think he's definitely an example of that because he just seems to have slotted in perfectly um, whether he's played as that number 10. I know he's had that one game as like a a central midfielder where it's really unbalanced. That was the Southampton game where he was subbed. But I don't think it was um, his fault um, for that because he was one of the best players on the pitch. But um, yeah, whether he's played as a 10 or a right wing, he just seems to connect with all the players around him. And um, that I think that's the best thing to see. And never mind the end product he showed. 
Uh, I'm not sure what his actual stats are, but you just just watch him and the impact he has on the team. Because we tend to play four-two-three-one, not to get too boring, but we tend to get him more involved in the play when when he's playing, and it just it just seems to link the midfield and the attack so much more better when we're rather than playing the free midfielders and stuff like that. So I think his impact has just been. It's just been out of this world value for money-wise, and hopefully he can continue this, because that's probably one of the criticisms he's faced at other teams' is consistency, but he certainly seems to be the perfect fit at the minute to be that, that player who can just come in out with a team for certain oppositions. Yeah, definitely, and I think that's something that's going to be tracked throughout the whole season in terms of his consistency. But also speaking about Liverpool's consistency, you know, that maybe the last question that I can throw at you before we bring Adam back in. Um We've got Watford on Saturday away from home, and then the next week, Wednesday, on the 28th, it's PSG away from home. Well, what impact does that game being on the horizon have on any plans for the weekend? Do you think rotation comes into into the fold there? Um, you might want to protect some of the South American. Like, I'm not sure who who actually got called up from the South American ones. Actually, uh, I imagine Bobby and Fabinho did because they've been called up in all of them. And Allison. Uh, for, I forget we have a good goalkeeper now. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I, obviously Allison will play both. Um, maybe maybe there's a cause to protect for me. Not I know he kind of got better against Fulham in the second half, but he's ju- he's not been he's not been himself recently. Um, so maybe maybe give Firmino too many e- too many O's at the end of this team, but yeah, give, maybe give Firmino a rest. But uh, Sturridge doesn't really seem to be Klopp's favourite, um, so that might not be uh, the right thing to do. But all, you, I suppose you can play Shakiri and uh, play Salah up front or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I I personally would play Sturridge, and obviously he's had the the whole um, international break off. Um, so I'd play him. I, I'd I'd be playing Shakiri and stuff like that. But I think defensive wise, you should be able to play two games in a week. And um, I I definitely I definitely want to see Gomez and Van Dijk against um, PSG. May- maybe we can get away with a Lovren or a Matip against Watford. Uh, no disrespect there. But again, I said it earlier on. I I really want to see Joe Gomez. And Van Dyke in, in every game possible, so I don't see the need to do too much rotation. I think midfield's probably the one you see the most changing because when you go to PSG, we'll probably see your, your your midfield three with your Milner and maybe Henderson, but you probably see Milner, Ginny um, in that one especially. But yeah, I think I think in, for Watford, you could probably see Kater come back in. Obviously, he's come back off an injury, but he played for Guinea. Um, so yeah, I think Kater will probably be good for the Watford game, but maybe not the PSG one. So I think there's a couple rotation, but I don't think it'll be from a fitness point of view, maybe just to get some more people involved kind of thing, off off injuries and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of food for thought for, for Klopp, especially heading into, I think there's a Merseyside derby straight after the PSG game as well. So it's kind of three big games in a row. Um. Adam, I'm going to bring you back in, and you've you've heard what guys to say with regards of the Liverpool team, and also maybe the header Klopp has with regards to rotation. Yeah. Does that play a factor in how you think you know the key battles are going to be won and lost from a Watford perspective, or are you going to have a set plan regardless of who Klopp is bringing in? I think, um, well, definitely, Gracia will be will have plotted a 
you know, a route to win this game um, for the last couple of weeks, and they'll be working on it now in training and throughout this week. Um, what's quite interesting is what you say about how the area you seem to be most unsure about in the Liverpool team is in midfield. You know, they've got five or six different players who could play, maybe not all of them yeah. convincing, but wanting to get minutes in some of them. And I was actually going to say anyway that the Watford's strongest area by by a distance at the moment really is in central midfield. And so I would say if Watford are going to win this game, that's the area where they're going to have to um, impose themselves and where they will impose themselves. As I said earlier, Decor and Capu have been outstanding this season, particularly Capu. Um, and I think we could see Shalabar play in a three-man midfield with them here as well and Will Hughes maybe just in front of them or coming in off the right. So I would say that um, if Capu and Decore maintain the performance level that they have this season, um, where they've more than matched uh, Tottenham's midfield and Man United's midfield and Arsenal in games that we've played, um, then that's, I guess, potentially an area of concern for you guys and where we'll feel we're at our strongest. Yeah, definitely. And you, you can see the midfield that has been built so far this season. As you say, with your performances, it seems to be a very you know, settled midfield and yeah. a, a physically imposing midfield. They, they can put their foot on the ball. Um, Guy, from your perspective, um, you know, we've seen, uh, as Adam has mentioned, Troy, Troy Deeney has acknowledged, you know, the, the quality and the talent of Virgil van Dijk. You've been bigging up Joe Gomez. Do you see maybe, you know, a Troy Deeney is a smart striker and, and maybe Adam could, um, you know, elaborate on that. But do you see him maybe picking out Joe Gomez as a target and staying maybe as far away from Virgil as possible and then trying to win, you know, headers in and around that Joe Gomez area. We know from last season, he, Gomez, you know, the, some of the criticism was he struggles when going up for, for headers. I think that could be the one place you could target because, I mean, even against Fulham, we saw Gomez... Not struggle, but I think he was certainly targeted by Mitrovic because, I mean, any, everyone and anyone's going to lose a physical duel to Van Dijk unless you're going to bring out the mountain from Game of Thrones out on your team. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, I don't think Gomez is weak physically. He's just not as strong compared to Van Dijk. And I think you've got to target Gomez because he's the young one. He's the one who's inexperienced and stuff like that. And he's not six foot five <laughs> and a tank. But yeah, Troy Deeney, he's obviously, I imagine you'll have the same flashbacks as me today in that Skirtle game. Um, <laughs> from a few years ago, that is, that is, that makes smile every there. time. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it doesn't for me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, Troy Dean, he's, he's given Skirtle problems, uh, Lovren problems, even Sacco back in the day. Um, it, it's, it's one of them. It'll probably be a big test for, um, uh, for Joe Gomez. I mean, uh, Adam, obviously, uh, just to ask you this, uh, who, who would you partner with Troy Dean? I know Success has got a few more minutes, but do you think he'll go back to that yeah. grey or Isaac Success? This is where it's been interesting because Deeney actually hasn't started a game since the start of October. He had a hamstring oh, right. injury. Um, success took his place and then success has been doing well. And Deeney actually only came back from injury in the last game at Southampton. He came on as a sub and did actually look very sharp and very good. So I'm, I'm confident he'll start. Um, I think Delefoe will start uh, and Will Hughes will start in, as a sort of uh, in midfield just off them. Um, and that might I, I don't know, but if I was guessing, it might be those three uh, with the Shalabar, Decore, Kapoor midfield behind them. So probably Delefeu, 
um, and and possibly success up there with Deeney as a forming more of a sort of powerful front two um, with just the four in midfield. Um, Andre Gray started the season with with Deeney and that was good and I think it caught a lot of opposition by surprise. Um, I think Gray is a little bit more limited than the other options we've got. So I imagine it will either be Deeney sort of leading the line with Delefeu off him or possibly uh, success in a in a front two. Oh, it's just great interest because success looks like he kind of lo- not like a complete football. He just looks like pace, power, the whole the whole thing. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was strange because he he showed that a couple of years ago and he completely lost his way. Um, I think there were a few off the field distractions and all that sort of thing. And he went out on loan last year, didn't really do much, but it seems to have come back in the summer and properly, um, you know, got himself going, trained hard, came back early for preseason. I couldn't get in the team to start with, but he's come in, obviously scored a couple of goals in the League Cup, which sort of got him going, got to go in the league. Uh, he's done well there as well. I just think with Deeney back, he's a likely starter, so I'm just trying to fill 11 places. But yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely no qualms of success starts. He's he's done well. Yeah, yeah, yeah it'd be interesting to see how Joe Gomez deals with because, I mean, <laughs> pace is something that we're, aren't we today? We're obviously the centre-backs are firm for the pace, so it'd be quite interesting to see which one we go with, but I'll let you go back to Houston now because Gareth took over there for a sec. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the instinct in you, guy. No, it's okay. Old habits. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's all good. Um, but, Guy, maybe I'll stick with you. From, if we look at it from the opposite side or the, the other side of the field, from an attacking perspective for Liverpool, I mean, you've mentioned maybe starting a Sturridge ahead of a Firmino or something like that, but do you expect any... any um, or have you identified anything in their backline that you might be looking to expose with perhaps a Sturridge starting, or is it just purely looking at games coming ahead? Um, no, I think I think it's just the fact that Firmino is a bit out of form, and I think Sturridge, before that miss against Red Star, which everyone seemed to blame solely on him for losing that game, or, or he did on my Twitter timeline. Um, I thought Sturridge deserved to be there on form, and I don't think I don't think anything's there to change my mind. But in terms of what I've seen in Watford, I've only seen a couple of appearances, uh, to be honest. But I think um, that the way their fullbacks play, obviously Holobus is an attacking uh, fullback. Is uh, who's who's your right back now, Adam? Is it Firmino or uh, it um, probably Yama? be uh, Kiko Firmino? Yeah, Daryl yeah. Yamat is back from injury, but I suspect uh, Firmino will start. Yeah, but the the both the both attacking fullback. So I'd, yeah, I'd ex- yeah, I'd expect Salah to be played on the right to try and target that space. That is um, essentially an area to target. Yeah. I think Holobas is in really in the team for set pieces and mm-hmm. uh, crossing and that sort of thing. So yeah. Yeah, so that, that's what I, that's what I'd be looking at today was the space left by the fullback. So I'd rather than Salah as the nine. Obviously, he can target um, Kafka and Cabaselli from what I've seen. Uh, I know you change your centre back a bit, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather see Salah target the fullbacks rather than the centre backs in this game today. So that's what I've seen. Yeah, definitely. And Adam, your response to that, and then maybe I can add in. Then, start from a stylistic perspective, does that pace of Liverpool's front line, you know, if let's say Amane and Salah both start on the wings, does that play into how how much license your fullbacks are going to get? Bearing in mind you guys are at home, there might be maybe more impetus on them to to go forward. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say so. I'd say that uh, Gracia will have a plan in mind to deal with Liverpool's front three, 
what he quite often speaks about and focuses on is the cutting out the supply line and that's where I feel come in because it'll be their job to stop the ball ever getting not ever because that's going to be impossible but as much as possible trying to get the ball stop the ball getting into that front three um, and so that's probably where you know the, the area where we can combat Liverpool best yeah. Um, but yeah I, I, it's certainly not yeah, the case I, that the fullbacks I, need to be getting forward because we're at home there will be a plan to deal with what everyone accepts is a is a better team than us and we've got to yeah, be on it at the back. I would say that Salah up against Holobas is a potential area of weakness in terms of pace. We see Holobas caught out occasionally. I think he likes getting forward and can sometimes slightly lose concentration um, defensively. And obviously Salah's, uh, Salah's movement is so good that you can't really afford to do that. So that'll be interesting. Um, but I, yeah, the, the plan for the game will mainly be built around midfield and trying to stop the supply line as much as possible. Yeah, and it, it seems like it's definitely going to be an, an an interesting game. And as as we've mentioned on this podcast, if midfield is such a key battle, but we're gonna head into you know the the key thing, the predictions. Um, Adam, I'll start with you. Where what maybe your scoreline prediction, or if if you're not willing to give a score, maybe how the game you see the game going. Um, well, I, the thing I'm most confident about is that Watford won't won't not turn up or won't play poorly. Um, I think you know Watford will very rarely uh, just turned over at home and are, are very capable of giving everyone at least a good game. So I suspect it. Well, I hope and suspect it won't be a hammering, and I think it might be quite close. So I'll go on the optimistic side and say uh, one all draw. Yes, uh, and for you, Guy. Um, yeah, I think it'll be a tight game myself. We've already seen Watford um, trouble some of the top top teams in the league already, so I think I think it'll be a tight game. But I think we we have to win games like these. So I'll go two one for for Liverpool. Yeah, um, my my heart the hopes with with you guys, obviously in terms of what I would predict in a two one win would be a, a professional win for a team. That's you know supposedly meant to be challenging for the league or or keeping Man City as honest as possible at the very least. But I I do still have that PSG game in the corner of my eye, and I wonder if some of the Liverpool players themselves might have that game in the corner of their eye. And Watford is probably one of the worst teams you want to play if you're not going to be giving a hundred percent because they're going to be quite physical. So um, my heart says two one, but I think my head six is is, is with Adam and in a 1-1 scoreline. Um, yeah, but in, in terms of the game, it should be a good game. Um, thank you guys so much for coming on and breaking down both teams for me. It was a, a pleasure hosting. Um, Adam, I'll start with you. Do you have any plugs um, and where people can, can get a, uh, more of your maybe writings and information? Um, well, I write for the Betway Insider, which is blog.betway.com. Uh, we do lots of tips for all the football and other sports and various other features and stuff so yeah I'd say head there blog.betway.com um, As you say that I think we're just sorry guy but we, we can't bring Sturridge to the game if Adam you know we don't want Sturridge anywhere near any more betting incidents after the FH charge <laughs> but um, <laughs> someone might lose 10 grand <laughs> Um, Guy, where where can people catch you on Twitter and 
podcasts? Yeah, uh, so Twitter's at Guy Drinkle, and I am recording Face Off literally straight after this one, so they'll probably be released at similar times, uh, where we're just talking about um, pretty much all the discussing discussion points about Liverpool's or players who split the fan base and all that jazz, so just keep an eye out for that. It'll help fill the rest of the week for it, and, uh, from your suffering in the international break. And um, yeah, there'll be a... Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 review on 1UP as well. I will probably edit that tomorrow, but it is a big one, so there's no promises on when that one will be out, but that'll probably be in two parts. So, so keep an eye on that. Uh, they'll all be on my Twitter, as I said, on at Guy Drinkle. Perfect. Once again, thanks to you both. Um, I've been Tadio Chanakira, and you can find me on Twitter at the Ace of Nave 7 That has been it for the Anfield Index Premier League preview show, and we'll, we'll catch you next time. Podcast Network.